Good morning. Sorry, give me just a minute here. I'm getting myself all situated. I've got like four different devices I'm playing with this morning. Uh, I want to let you know this morning we're trying something that we haven't done in the past, uh, kind of in preparation for maybe needing to do it in the future. Uh, We have uh, a live stream that we're doing right now. Uh, something Kyle and I have talked about, something that's been floated around by a few people. We have individuals who are in a high-risk demographic, especially for things that are um, respiratory-related. And uh, you know, with the thought and consideration, we don't want to be alarmist, uh, but with the thought and consideration regarding uh, the coronavirus and other possibilities, uh, we are considering having a live stream so that people who are homebound for a period of time uh, can join us in service. And so we have that going on in the back right now. Uh, Basically, it sees the back of your head, but mostly it sees me, so I'm a little self-conscious this morning. Uh, It's on our private Facebook feed, so uh, this is not wide broadcast on YouTube. Uh, Essentially, you have to be a part of the the private Facebook group uh, for the Newburgh Church of Christ in order to see it. Uh, But we're going to give it a try this week, and we'll probably make some adjustments over the next couple of weeks. Uh, But we want to make sure that we're serving those who can't be here in person. And I know we have a number who have reached out this week and said, I'm just not going to be there. My doctor thinks it's a good idea for me to kind of self-quarantine, to stay at home. And so uh, in in a hope to be able to honor them and allow them to be with us, even if they can't be with us, Uh, We're going to go ahead and and give it a try. Um, So now, uh, I want to go ahead and I want to start off a prayer with a prayer this morning for those who are suffering uh, uh, with the coronavirus, but also I've been thinking a lot about those who are in Tennessee uh, who were uh, uh, part of this uh, tornado uh, that happened. And so let's go ahead and pray for them. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for uh, the life that you have given to us, and we recognize uh, that life is fragile, uh, it, is, it is precious, it is something that, uh, that we often take for granted, um, and we know that there are those who are fighting for their lives right now, God, uh, people who are facing illness uh, that is um, a little scary, and so we pray for those who are fighting that illness, we pray for those uh, who are at risk uh, to, to struggle with it greatly, uh, and we pray that we can do our part Uh, to take care of those who are suffering. Um, God, for those who have lost homes and lives and loved ones uh, in Tennessee, we are are mindful this morning um, that there uh, there is hurt. Uh, And Father, we know that your people there are responding, uh, but we ask that we have open eyes, uh, that we have hearts that are prepared to serve if there is an opportunity for us to do so. And we pray, God, that you give us uh, wisdom in how we respond to tragedy in our world. Uh, Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. And we thank you for his love for us, his great love uh, that changes who we are at our core. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So over the last couple of weeks, we have talked about these different images of Jesus that we see in Scripture, moments uh, in his life that help us to understand his priorities, who he is, and then hopefully take on those priorities and live them out ourselves. Uh, Kyle talked about the idea of presence and how Jesus, in, in moments with people, is very present with them. He's aware of what's going on in their lives. He's not detached from situations. He's there in the situation. Uh, last week, we talked about uh, how Jesus was compassionate 
And we looked at the story of the woman who's been caught in adultery and, and how Jesus shows her great compassion when other people are showing judgment and looking for an opportunity to tear her down. He looks for an opportunity to show her love through his compassion. Uh, this week, we are looking at Jesus and his humility. Um, I think that uh, it's, it's difficult for us sometimes to wrap our mind around how great Jesus is because we so often see him so humble, so, so meek and gentle in his life. Now, there are moments definitely where Jesus is, is larger than life and loud and aggressive. Uh, you know, I often think of a, a quote uh, from C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where they're uh, discussing Aslan, the lion. And the kids don't know that he's a lion yet, and they keep talking about Aslan over and over again. Aslan is coming. Aslan is on the move. And, and the children are like, they're excited about this Aslan, but they get like tingles as they hear his name spoken. And they find out that he's a lion, and they ask, well, is he safe? Is Aslan safe? And the response is, of course he's not safe. He's a lion, but he's good. He's very good. Jesus isn't safe. Jesus does some big, wild, crazy things. He definitely upsets a lot of people. And oftentimes, following Jesus puts us in a little bit of peril. It should give us like some chills, some, some nervousness, some anxiety, some anxiousness. Not bad anxiety, the good anxiety that prompts you to do something, okay? But Jesus is always good. And the things that he calls us to are always good. Jesus is fantastic and big and bold and great, but at the same time, he's also quiet and still and humble. And so this morning, I want to look at a particular story about the life of Jesus and talk about what humility for the, the Son of God, for God himself, looks like. If you have your Bibles, uh, you, can, you can go to John chapter 13, uh, starting in verse 1, and we're going to read a story about Jesus and his interaction with humanity that I think clearly tells us that one of Jesus' priorities is humility. It says, now before the feast of the Passover, when, the Jews knew, or when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. So it sets the scene here. Jesus is having a meal with his disciples, his closest, closest companions, the, the men that he has called friends up to this point. But every one of these men has recognized that Jesus is an authority in their life. He's a teacher. He is the man that they have vested their interests in. He's a stakeholder for them. They've got faith in him. Now, some of them, that faith is a little shaky. 
It's not necessarily the solid kind of faith that, that they will have after the resurrection, but they've, they've put a great amount of time and energy into following this man. They've heard his teaching, and they've seen him perform his wonders and his signs. This is a man who has their attention. And he could do almost anything with the attention that he has. And so when he gets up in the middle of a meal, especially a meal that's part of this sacred week, this Passover feast, this time in which they are recognizing and celebrating the active work of God among his people, they've got to be expecting something pretty fantastic. Because Jesus has been beating a drum for a while now about how the kingdom of heaven is at hand, how something great is about to happen. He's just come into Jerusalem with like a parade and people shouting and and exclaiming, the king has arrived. And he stands up in the meal. And what comes next should catch us all off guard if we're really paying attention to the story that the gospels are telling. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I'm going to read it one more time, and I want you to listen. Put yourself in the shoes of these men who have followed Jesus for three years and witnessed the things that they have witnessed. Jesus laid aside his outer garment. And taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. We read this and we, we get the foot washing. Like it's, it's a beautiful image. Christians throughout history have practiced foot washing at different times, sometimes prescribed, sometimes not, as a way of showing that we serve one another. And we like that image, you know, this hands-on image. But I, I want to be clear, what Jesus does here is he doesn't just take their, hand, or their feet into his own hands. He clothes himself with the thing that he's going to wash them with. And he's going to wipe their feet with. He is wrapped in a a towel, the implement of cleaning. Like if Kyle came on Sunday morning and he had like brooms on his legs. Uh, it would be kind of a weird sort of image, but this is essentially what Jesus is doing. A cleaning utensil, the thing that is intended to remove the grime, becomes his garment. It's intimate and still and a little gross. kind of, as far as the disciples are concerned, maybe even a little shameful, because tells us next, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do not wash my feet. Rather, he says, do you wash my feet? It's a question, I'm sorry, not a statement. Do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. This king of kings, 
this Lord of Lords, this good teacher, this man that they've seen walk on water, that's healed lepers, that has fed multitudes, that has raised the dead in front of them, says, if I don't wash your feet, you can't have any part of me. If I don't serve you, you can't be a part of my kingdom. And Peter is upset about this. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't want you to wash my feet. This isn't okay. This is not the dynamic I want from my king. My king is supposed to demand that I wash his feet. This is the image that Peter has in his head of what power and authority in our world looks like. And Peter is kind of right. This is, this is humiliating. Jesus, get up. Put your garment back on. Stop wrapping yourself in a towel. Stop handling dirty, nasty feet. We've, you know where we've been. I don't have to tell you you don't know where my feet have been. You know exactly where my feet have been. And it's not pretty. We've been walking through the city streets of Jerusalem. This place is disgusting. Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. If I don't serve you, you can't be a part of my kingdom. Jesus doesn't just make this point in this moment. This is not unique to John's gospel, and it's not unique to the upper room scenario. In fact, in the gospel of Mark chapter 10, we have Jesus explaining to his disciples what service and power look like in his kingdom. It says, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, this is in response to a couple of the guys thinking that they want power. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Sometimes we think that, uh, that the service that Jesus does throughout his life is just to prove that he's God. I'm going to heal these lepers so that people will believe that I am God. I'm going to come over here and, and raise this, this girl from the dead so that people will believe that I'm God. I'm going to heal Peter's mother-in-law because then people will believe that I am God. I'm going to feed the multitudes so that people will believe that I am God. The Gospel of John tells us that Jesus doesn't trust anyone's faith if their reason for faith is their belief in his miracles. And here in Mark, Jesus says, I came to serve, not to be served. I came to serve. Notice he doesn't say, I came to prove to you all that I'm God, and the way that I'm going to do that is to serve people, and then you'll get the point. I came to serve, not to be served. This is the message of Jesus' life. Service to others. 
This is the way that Jesus lived, service to others, regardless of who they are. This morning in Wayne's class, we we talked about how Jesus heals a leper who is a Samaritan. And if Jesus, as the Jewish Messiah, and of course we know he's more than just a Jewish Messiah, he's the savior of the whole world, but as a Jewish Messiah, if he can heal a Samaritan leper, then he's certainly not playing favorites in who he serves. And in fact, if we continue in the story of this this upper room scenario, we find that Jesus serves even the people that he has the least reason to serve. It says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. I want a part in your kingdom. I don't get what you're doing, and you've already told me I won't get it until later, but I want to be a part of your kingdom. So go ahead, wash my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. I don't know if this is Jesus like, uh, no, I, <laughs> the feet are enough, Peter. I, I don't want any more of this. But he says he's completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was be- to betray him. That's why, that was why he said, not all of you are clean. So remember, at the beginning of the passage, it says that Judas has already decided to betray Jesus. He has already decided to betray Jesus. And Jesus gets up, takes off his outer garment, wraps a towel around himself, fills a basin, and goes around to each man in the room and washes their feet, including Judas. And Jesus already knows that Judas is going to betray him. So Jesus, the same Jewish Messiah that heals Samaritan lepers, also washes the feet of the one who's going to send him to his execution. The Son of Man came to serve even the one who betrays him. I want to be clear this morning. I think, I think what we should find challenging about this passage is not that Jesus serves. I think that that's something that we should all recognize immediately, looking at the life of Jesus, looking at the drum that he beats, talking about, you know, serve one another. The, the least among you will be the greatest. The greatest will be the least. He who is first shall be last. He who is last shall be first. These are common themes in the life of Jesus. But it's this specific statement, for he knew who was to betray him. In the context of this passage, that should set us on our back foot. Whoa, hold on. Jesus serves the man who would betray him. I'm generally okay with serving other people. I mean, that's, that's not a difficult thing for me to do. I, I kind of get satisfaction out of it. Like, there is, there is a good sense of like, hey, I did something all right. You get those endorphins from serving other people. Service in our culture today is actually something most people embrace. Yeah, I'm going to go serve people who need it. 
I'm, I'm going to serve people that are good people who are just down on their luck. I'm going to serve people who can't help themselves. I'm, I'm going to serve people who really, really need love. and People who are then going to return that to somebody else. All of that sounds pretty good to us. What sounds really difficult is I'm going to go serve this guy who's going to turn me over to the police with false accusations and get me sent to the electric chair. It sounds kind of ridiculous, right? We're we're thinking, well, that's never going to happen to me. Jesus does it with the full knowledge that that's exactly what's going to happen to him. I will wash the feet of the man who is sending me to my death. Now, we don't know whether or not Judas knew that that was the full extent of what was going to come of his betrayal. But it seems pretty likely. And Jesus serves him anyway. Jesus calls us to serve those that we don't want to serve. Those that it's difficult to serve. Those that we benefit in no way from serving. And that's not easy. In fact, it's, it's so difficult that I think we have kind of written out that part of the narrative in a lot of our thinking about the kind of service that Jesus calls to because Jesus does repeatedly tell us that we're supposed to serve the poor, that we're supposed to serve those who can't help themselves. But Jesus shows us service to those who can help themselves, who do have enough in this world. And he calls us to serve them as well. And Jesus calls us to serve those that have placed themselves in the position of our enemies. If we continue on uh, with this, this thought process, the question becomes, is there anyone that I don't have to serve? That's the kind of questioning that happens in our heads. Okay, well, I know I need to serve those who can't serve themselves. I know I need to serve those that are a part of my family. I know I need to serve my brothers and sisters. I know I need to serve uh, the poor. I know I need, the, uh, I need to serve the people uh, who are my friends. I know I need to serve the people that are difficult sometimes to get along with, but not necessarily my enemies. And now Jesus says I need to serve the people who are going to betray me? Is there anyone I don't have to serve? And if you read the story of the life of Jesus, I think the resounding answer is no. Because that's how Jesus lived his life. And if we're his disciples if we really plan to grow into the image of Jesus and conform our lives to his will and his way of being, we have to be prepared to serve everyone at all times. 
And I'm not here to propose to you this morning what that looks like for you as an individual. I think that takes some personal reflection, some personal time in your own head and prayer with God. But what I know is that God has given you opportunities to serve. In fact, uh, in the passage that John read to us this morning, we're told as much. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sin which you once, uh, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. There's some language that's used here. You were dead in the tra- trespasses and sin in which you once walked. There was a way of life that you lived out before the current time. And what it led you to was this kind of work. Disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is a description of who we are apart from Christ. There can be no other way. This is essentially what we are told. This is humanity without Jesus as the image that we conform to. And I think if we're honest, we can see the ramifications of that in our world today. And then we begin the walk from there to something else. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him. I'll stand here. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable richness of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Something changes. God's grace enters into the picture, and we go from people who lived in wrath and selfishness and a life all about ourselves to something else through the grace that is given to us. And this is what Paul says. Whoa, too far. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, specifically not a result of your works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, I want you to hear this. There was the way that you lived before, And God came along, and in his great love and grace and compassion, he served you richly. He humbled himself. He literally took off the robe of heaven, came down to earth, clothed himself in a towel to wash your feet, to prepare you to walk in a new way. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we 
should walk in them. The point is this, good works, which God prepared beforehand, walk in them. God has prepared opportunities for you to serve in this world. And service in his kingdom looks like humility. It looks like taking off all the trappings of of authority, all the trappings of personal pride, all of the things that lift us up above other people, and taking on a posture that places us at the feet of others, draped in a towel to wash feet. And I have spent plenty of time in my life walking in a different way and resisting the walk of one who is a servant. Specifically when it becomes hard to serve or when the one I am called to serve is difficult for me to serve. I am perfectly fine serving God as long as it's serving people I want to serve, as long as it's serving the people that make me feel good about having served them. But when I am called to walk in the good works that God has prepared for me to do for the difficult to serve, maybe I want to put my robe back on. Maybe I don't want Jesus to wash my feet if it means that I have to then take those feet down a path that's difficult. We have the wrong sort of idea about leadership and authority within Christianity. A lot of times when, when a person rises, rises to a certain position within the church, uh, maybe, maybe our preacher, we think maybe that person, you know, they're, they're in a position to tell us what to do so that we serve their will. But I was talking with uh, Cody Russo earlier, about this, uh, earlier this week about this. In my worst moments... As a minister, I see myself as as someone with authority. In my best moments, as a minister, I see myself as a servant of our community. That what I do up here, it's not about me, and it's not about me exerting authority over somebody else. It's about me encouraging and equipping the body of Christ and serving. In our worst moments, Elders are the authorities over the church imposing their will on the congregation. In our best moments, elders are the servants of the church, encouraging and equipping the community for good works. In our worst moments, deacons are the authorities over the church, telling us how to manage things and how to do specific acts of service. In our best moments, deacons in the church serve by equipping the saints for the good works that God has prepared us in advance. And so this morning, I want to I tell you this. I, I want to be held accountable. I don't want my position as minister in my head to play out as a position of authority. I want it to be a position of service. I don't want our elders 
to see themselves in a position of authority that is, is pushing their will, but is it communicating the will of God? I don't want our deacons in our church to see their, their position as a position of authority to tell us how things must be done, but as an opportunity to encourage service within the church. I want us all to take on the role of foot washers, to serve the difficult to serve, to love those who are difficult to love, to set aside the idea of authority, to set aside our outer garment, and to kneel before those who are outside of the kingdom, needing to be washed and brought in. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, you have given us the perfect picture of leadership. The perfect picture of what you look like, a God who sets aside the, the spectacle for the sake of service, who sets aside the throne for a position at the feet of those who are unclean. Who sits at table with those who are sinners and neglects the righteous for the sake of those who are unrighteous. And Father, I pray, I pray in this church, in this congregation, that each one of us considers ourselves the servant of the others that we look for ways that we can be more like your son, that we can, we can wash one another's feet, that we can love those that have given us no reason to love them, maybe even those that have given us cause to revile them, to look down on them, to, to feel betrayed by them. And Father, I, I feel blessed that we have elders who love this community, that we have uh, ministers and deacons here who love this community but help us to continue to grow in that love. Help us to take on the image of your son every day. Help us to wash more feet. Help us to set aside the selfish works that lift us up and humble ourselves so that we can lift others. I thank you for the image of your son. I thank you for the story of his life. I thank you for his death and his resurrection and the opportunity to participate in those things, God. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. This morning, if you have need of the community here, if you have a desire for prayer, uh, if you are in need of, of service, if we can wash your feet, we want to do that. If you have a hurt in your heart uh, that you need prayer for, if you have trouble in your life that you need someone to walk alongside you through, we want to be a part of that as well. And if you find that your whole body is unclean, that you have not been washed, that you are living the kind of life that Paul describes as selfish and wicked and apart from the grace of God, we believe that there's only one way to change that. And that's through entering into 
the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ through the waters of baptism. And it means changing your life and accepting a new image of who you are, denying the old image and taking on the new. And if you want that, if you want to be able to give up the old life and take on a new life, you can have that opportunity. And, and we offer you that opportunity today. You can come sit on the front pew. Uh, you can turn to the person next to you. We will find a way to get you in the water today if that's what you want. But it has to be something that means that you are willing to conform your life to the image of a king who humbled himself. We invite you to that as we stand and sing.